Hello, my fellow humans, and welcome to Weird Humanity at Night. I'm your host, Amanda, and I'm recording this a lot later than I should be. Um, just going to be honest right off the bat. I have had some recording issues today, and I think I got some of them solved. Um, but basically, I am re-recording this entire episode. The quality of the round one was, in my opinion, just not not good enough for me, but really not good enough for you guys, not good enough for my listeners, for my humans. It was bad. I tried to fix it myself. Um, I know a little bit more moving forward about how to better do this audio nonsense. But um, yeah, so I have a very early work day starting tomorrow. And I'm also trying to release this episode in... I'm going to be honest with you guys, about nine hours from now. So here we go. And and the, the take one of this episode at the end featured a cameo from Nino. Some of you know that I have a cat. Her name is Nino. She's perfect. Um, she made a little unexpected um, appearance. So maybe we'll see what happens. Maybe Nino will join us again. Um, but hello, welcome to Weird Humanity. Of course, I'm Amanda. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the support through episode three. I got some really awesome feedback. Um, this episode almost didn't happen, one, because of my recording issues earlier, and two, a few days ago, I was doing my research and writing out and doing my outline. And then my Microsoft Word crashed and I lost everything I had saved up until that point. Uh, so going forward, I am using Google Docs. Uh, shout out to Michaela, friend and coworker, who basically okay boomered me when she saw that I was using Microsoft Word. Um, also, thank you to Michaela for introducing me to the Mountain Dew energy drinks, because that's what's going to keep me going, recording and editing this episode so late. Um, episode also could have gone in a hundred different directions because the title, let's get into it, How Does Money Work?, I envisioned it going one way, and then my research took me another way. It starts with my fascination with the gold standard and the value that gold and silver and diamonds have that ultimately we as human beings just decided that they have value. Um, so my, my research was going to start with the gold standard, how that affects economies, and then it moved to a more modern look at the current U.S. economy um, and more current money and currency. But I still am really, really interested in in the value of of gold and silver and diamonds and, and why those things have so much value. So that's just going to be something that we're going to cover in 
the future. Um, I am trying to answer the question today, what is money actually? And how does it really work? I'm talking about everything from the dollar dollar bills in your pocket to logging into your bank account and what those numbers, what that amount means. Um, I'm going to try to not get super preachy, no promises. Um, I didn't fall into any conspiracy theory rabbit holes, but it's really easy with a topic like this to go on a tangent that way. So I'm going to hopefully avoid that. And we're really just sticking to the the facts kind of of currency and money. I will apologize if I do end up on a soapbox. It did happen in the first taping of this episode. And I don't not promise it's going to happen again. Um, and and like last week's episode, like the laughter episode, this is very information heavy and really not very funny. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy my take on this. I hope um, you come away with this with maybe a better understanding of currency and economics. And if not, I hope you just have a good time listening to me. So Without further ado, let's dive into how does money work? So let's talk about the gold standard. That is the the type of currency we use, right? Wrong. I don't know where or how in my brain I have always thought that the U.S. has been a a gold-backed economy. That that all of our our dollar bills and our our change, the, the coins, everything, is basically just like a representation of the gold we have. This this dollar means nothing without without the gold that backs it, that gives its value. Um, yeah, no, that's that's not true. I must have completely missed that part of high school economics. For that, I do apologize, Mr. Schneider. Um, so is there even gold in Fort Knox, where I always thought the gold that made our economy run sat? Who knows? Probably not. No idea. Conversation for another day. Um, but the U.S. was a commodity-based economy, as was most of the world prior to the 1930s. U.S. currency, as you know, ours is the dollar, was backed by our gold reserves. A dollar bill was essentially a promissory note. You could trade in your notes, which is in the form of dollar bills, to the bank for gold. But everything changed in 1933. The Great Depression had fallen upon the U.S., and that was triggered by the stock market crash of 1929, when one in four Americans lost their entire life savings and more than 10,000 banks failed. 10,000 banks collapsed, just had no money, and therefore the people who had money in those banks lost, in some cases, everything. The world was also completely devastated by World War I, 
and World War II was looming on the horizon. In June of 1933, four years after the stock market crash, FDR, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, signed the Glass-Steagall Act, which essentially separated commercial business banking from independent consumer banking. Prior to the signing of this act, corrupt banks and bankers, which definitely don't exist today, right? Right? Corrupt banks and bankers, what they would do was loan money out to businesses. So this one bank is taking money that that you yourself, you've deposited money into your bank account. And then a business comes along and says, hey, my business needs money for business things. So the bank then gives them a loan with your money, which is how banks work today too, but it's just, it's not with businesses. And then when a depositor, a person coming in who wants to deposit money and make a withdrawal, the bank, the the bankers convince them to buy stock into that company. So, you know, instead of having instead of having gold or or dollar bills, you now have stock in this company. However, the economy was in shambles at that time and only about to get worse. When the companies failed, the depositor lost everything. But the bankers and the banks got disgustingly rich. So the Glass-Steagall Act was written to stop that, to now separate that type of banking. The Glass-Steagall Act also created the FDIC, which is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, essentially the insurance policy that your bank has that insures up to a certain amount of money you could withdraw at at any given moment. Um, and the, the Glass-Steagall Act was also passed, I, I just found this interesting, was also passed one month after it was made illegal to hoard gold. I don't know why I found that so fascinating. I want answers to a lot of questions. How much is too much gold? So the U.S. dollar between the enacting of the Glass-Steagall Act in 1933 and in 1971, so between 1933 and 1971, was a partially representative currency. So we weren't totally reliant on our gold reserves anymore, but it still was like the anchor of our economy. In 1966, the U.S. had $3.6 billion in gold holdings, but had $14 billion in foreign debts. It was becoming quickly obvious that that the economy was in trouble. We didn't have enough gold to to back our debts, to to help our just the average everyday people to cover the money that they had in their banks. So in 1971, Tricky Dick Nixon himself, Mr. I am not a crook. And yes, I said that holding my hands, my my fingers in the air like old, old Tricky Dick. President Nixon officially 
ended the gold standard, making the U.S. dollar 100% fiat currency. And the rest of the world, slowly but surely, followed suit. Most economies, most developed countries today are fiat currencies. That's the type of economy they have. Um, Amanda, fiat is a car. It's not a kind of money. Oh, oh, but how wrong you are. All right, so what the hell is fiat currency? Fiat is a Latin word that literally means to decree. So fiat currency is currency that is decreed by the government. Um, The majority of countries today use fiat currency. But what is it? Well, basically, the U.S. dollar has value because we as citizens trust that that businesses will accept it as legal tender. That trust is backed by our faith in the government, not a commodity like gold, silver, or oil. Sounds fake, right? Yeah. Our currency, the money we have, the dollar-dollar bills you got in your pocket, The money you have in your bank account when you go online and you enter in all your little credentials, that money is not backed by anything other than our trust in the U.S. government. Fiat currency is also backed by a central bank. In the U.S., we have the Federal Reserve System, a.k.a. the Fed. The Fed controls the flow of money in and out of banks by raising or lowering bank reserve requirements. A bank reserve requirement is the amount of cash and or securities a bank is required to have in the bank at any given time. But if money has value because we just all decided to agree that it has value, Why can't the value of our dollars be higher? That's something that I've that I thought about a lot when I was researching this. If we use fiat currency, which is essentially limitless, why can't we just give people more money? Well, it's not quite that simple. Fiat money derives its value from the trust in the government and its ability to levy and collect taxes. That is a quote from an Investopedia article I found. I thought that was fun. Investopedia, Wikipedia for your money. So what is currency then? Currency, the the physical paper or coins, is what we have in circulation. But because we use fiat currency, physical currency, paper and coin, is only a percentage of the actual total money supply in the U.S. As of 2018, physical currency was only about 11% of the total money supply, which was about $14 trillion. $14 trillion was the total money supply in the U.S. in 2018, 
and about 1.5 trillion of that is physical currency that is moving throughout the the country that is being exchanged it's the cash you use to pay for your cheeseburgers it's the the cash you use to tip your servers hopefully you're you're tipping them well but the majority of fiat currency exists in like online databases and ledgers so that's where your online bank accounts come in you have x amount of dollars in your checking and savings account could you go to your bank right now or well not this late uh, could you go to your bank tomorrow and attempt to withdraw all of your money close your accounts and would your bank be able to to cover all that depending on your personal bank accounts, how much money you have, based on what the average American has in a checking and savings account, yes, a bank would be able to give you cash for the money that is in your accounts, that's listed on your account ledger. But what about someone like Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates? These people are worth billions could they go and obviously they don't have all their money in one bank that's dumb but are they able to to withdraw all of this money no they're they're not and this is where i get frustrated but i'm trying to not soapbox i i believe that any able-bodied adult human who works full time should make a livable wage, should not be anywhere near the poverty line. And if fiat currency is essentially just numbers in an account, why can't we just increase the numbers for that the money that's in accounts? Why can't we just tack money on? Why can't we just make their wage higher, add some zeros onto some things? Well, it makes sense. It's dumb, but I get it. That's where inflation comes in. And we have been hearing about inflation 8 billion times a day for the last couple of years. We are going through a crazy amount of economic inflation right now. Couldn't the government just print more money? No, that's where inflation comes from. But actually, with fiat currency, yeah, the U.S. government has, they can, they will, and they have just printed more money to stimulate the economy. A good example of that would be the COVID stimulus checks that were sent out a couple years ago. That money didn't technically exist anywhere. It was just kind of not created out of thin air, but there's there's no commodity backing that amount. The U.S. government said, add these numbers to this person's checking your savings account, and then it happened. And now you just have that money. Currency that's not linked to a commodity, in theory, could just have endless amounts. We could just print endless amounts of it. But with great power comes great responsibility. 
This is my second time quoting Spider-Man in four episodes. It would honestly be really stupid for the government to just print money willy-nilly. The economy would literally crumble. What if everyone just suddenly got an extra, let's say, $100 a month? The best explanation I saw of why this would destroy our economy came from an Iowa State professor of economics named Joydeep Bahatakaria, and I'm hoping I'm saying that name as well as possible. Basically, he the professor explained it this way. Each month, you buy 100 pounds of corn for $100. A dollar a pound is then the value of corn. All right, well, now let's just give everyone 100 more dollars. You have 100 more dollars every month, and so does your neighbor, and so does that guy, and so does everybody in your country. Every household now has 100 more dollars. And you're thinking, well, I have extra money every month now. I'm going to buy even more corn because I can afford it and I can make more cornbread. We can have more sweet corn with our barbecued ribs in the evening. We can have corn tortillas. But you're not the only one thinking that way. So are your neighbors. Everyone else is thinking, I can buy more corn now. So you're buying 100, you want to buy 150 to 200 pounds every month. But now the demand for corn is going going up. Corn is a tangible product. It has to be grown. It has to be harvested. Money is required to, to produce corn. You have to pay more workers. You have to have more storage. So the farmers now have to raise the price of corn to accommodate for that higher demand. Now you're going to end up paying $1.50 for a pound of corn. You're getting less corn for a dollar. Your dollar is now worth less, even though you have more money and are able to buy more. So according to the professor, there can be a short-lived positive effect of printing more money, but the overall lasting effect is going to lead to overinflation or hyperinflation. And basically, your dollar becomes worthless. If you give every person an extra $100, those wage gaps and wealth gaps still exist. It's just that everyone has an extra $100. Um, the professor also said, if I, give every, if I give every student 10 more points, that doesn't close the the gaps between the students with with the a's and the d's everybody is moving up and i thought that was a really good explanation in layman terms for somebody to understand why we shouldn't be printing money and basically how inflation works So now knowing what I know, I'm still not smart enough to come up with a solution to end poverty in our country and in the world, but I do have a better understanding of economics, um, and I, I firmly believe that, again, any able-bodied adult working full-time should not have 
a starving family or live at or below the poverty line. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. But I understand that it's not as simple as just depositing more money into everybody's accounts. So let's move on to what are the dangers of a fiat currency? And I thought it was interesting when I was researching this, how many different articles talked about the dangers of fiat currency, because like I mentioned earlier, basically every country, every developed country on the planet, including the U.S., uses fiat currency. So the dangers and the pitfalls could be plenty, but fiat currency isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So it's just, it's interesting that these bad things are just there. So one of the dangers, one of the most obvious dangers of a fiat currency economy is obviously it's, it's based on the people's trust in their government. And right away, I'm like, pull over, wave the red flag. It's it's hard when there's so much corruption from our little local governments all the way to the top, all the way to to the federal levels. And it's hard to trust politicians to make the right choices to to really vote for for policies that benefit their beneficiaries when we know that that's simply not the case many times. Um, and that makes it it hard to trust in the economy and and the currency. The value of currency can and will drop with confidence in the government. And it has collapsed other countries because the there was so much corruption in the government or there was, you know, the citizens were so upset, there was upheaval of the government, and essentially their economies collapse because the trust is gone. So the value of the currency is is gone. But another issue, another danger with fiat currency is as unemployment rises, government debt is going to increase because people are going to require um, more assistance when they're unemployed. Um, you know, unemployment insurance and and food stamps and things like that to to survive. And those programs are are necessary for our citizens, especially people who are laid off for things that are out of their control. But that increases the government spending and as the government's debt increases, sometimes they'll try to print more money to prevent the the dollar or whatever currency they use from becoming valueless. And again, that stimulates their economy for a short time, but is ultimately going to lead to inflation rates going up much faster than they just naturally would. So a government, a country, has to be really good about maintaining a as low of an unemployment as low of an unemployment rate as possible, 
Otherwise, that's going to affect the the value of of the dollar of the currency of whatever um, whatever country uses that. So, what if I thought to myself, what if we went back to a commodity based currency? What if we decided? I just do not trust the government enough for this. We need to go back to something. We need to go back to gold or silver or diamonds or oil or something to be the commodity that backs our currency. Or what if we went back to a barter economy and just took currency out of it altogether? Well, Quite frankly, neither of those things would work anymore in the 21st century. If you think about a co- commodity-based currency, you need that tangible amount, that tangible amount of gold or silver or oil to be somewhere. Like we said earlier, there in 2018, there was the total U.S., value total total money supply in the US was 14 trillion dollars imagine having to put 14 trillion dollars worth of gold or cash or cash and coins somewhere it's not feasible honestly as an economy grows as as wages rise and and prices of goods rise that that money if it's a commodity-based economy, needs to exist actually as a tangible item. With or without banks, where would we literally keep that much currency, that much commodity? We can't all be a Ron Swanson and bury our gold in various places behind our cabin in the woods. It's just not feasible. An economy cannot grow with commodity-based currency because the commodity itself limits the amount of available tender for an economy, whereas fiat currency allows for unlimited growth, which does include increase in wages, more economic stimulation, and lowering inflation rates, or more so, inflation is going to happen, but lowering the rate that it increases, or more so slowing the rate of inflation. And as fun it is as it is to think about, a barter economy just would not work. Um, if you think about anyone who who relies on direct trade, let's say a farmer, their commodity would be, you know, the corn in their fields, the strawberry in their gardens, the beef from their cattle. But those commodities are also perishable. And they don't have a lot of time. So if they can't find someone who needs those things and can barter with them, trade with them for something else, that commodity literally is going to spoil. Um, If you think about a shoemaker, the shoemaker needs a loaf of bread to feed his family. But there are no bakers in the area that need shoes. They all got good shoes. They all have Crocs on. They're good. They've got the good Crocs on, the the no-slip, the, the work ones. So this shoemaker is not able to 
feed his family because nobody needs shoes. And any sort of mildly intelligent government isn't going to use a a commodity-based currency, especially when that commodity is something that just doesn't last a lifetime. As fun as it is to think about, we're not going to have a strawberry-based economy. It's just, it's it's not a thing, folks. As confusing as it may be, and as confusing as I hopefully didn't explain it, fiat currency actually makes the most sense as far as what's best for the economy. So hopefully I haven't confused your brains too much. Um, what does all of this mean for for us, the average everyday Joes and Janes of of the world? I, and I'm sure a lot of other people have too, I have very often had the existential crisis thinking about the the money and I have not my pretty much my entire life I have not had very much money um but I've I've also I've often pondered are the numbers in my online bank account are are they literally just a set of numbers is there any actual value to these things. You transfer money from one account to the other, you hit a couple buttons. Have you really actually done anything? Has money been taken from point A physically been taken to point B then? No, it hasn't. And honestly, understanding more about what fiat currency is has helped me to understand that I'm kind of right. The numbers in your bank account sort of don't technically have any value or they don't have value in in a commodity sense which is again what i thought our our entire economy was um there is there is a reason that it's best to use databases as currency versus physical currency again in 2018, it was only about 11% of the total U.S. money supply that was physical currency. Imagine, okay, most people get paid every two weeks. So imagine every two weeks you get paid in cash. It sounds fun at first, right? Like we're all out there in the streets. We're making it rain. And then we're remembering we have bills to pay. So we're picking up our rain. We're putting it back in our pockets. And we're making sure other people aren't taking our raindrops. Physical currency is a, I hope you all enjoyed that visual. Physical currency is a tangible item that is easily lost, destroyed, stolen. And yes, I understand that hackers can break into your bank account and and steal money that way. But no one is robbing you at gunpoint asking for your Wells Fargo login credentials. Ain't nobody got time for that. I have theorized for years that the money in my account actually holds no true value. And again, in a way, I was right. But just because it's not a tangible commodity, it still has value because the government, we the citizens, my employer, and my bank 
all agree on the value of my accounts. They all agree on what those numbers mean. So I'm not quite having the existential crisis I was before, knowing that there is value, it's just not physical value. Um, and I'm going to say it one more time, soapbox, here we go. I truly, 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 it's not even a belief. I, for me, it's just the correct way that things should be. Any able-bodied human adult working full-time should not, under any circumstances, be living under or at or near the poverty line. There's Full-time wages should not mean you're still in poverty. And what can we do to change that? The simple quick answer is vote. And you need to vote for for politicians, for your representatives that truly have the best interest of their constituents at heart, that truly believe in the hard work that the average everyday American puts in and isn't worried about lining their own pockets. I hate, and it's such a strong word, but I'm sorry, I hate people, politicians, whomever, that degrade somebody whose full-time job is, quote-unquote, flipping burgers. Do not demand a product and a service and then insult, degrade, and basically demand demand a lower standard of living for these people because you think they they're, the good or service they're providing is unskilled. You're still in the drive through line. You're still yelling at some poor high school student who doesn't even work there full time because you didn't put all the chicken nuggets in there. And yeah, like I, I understand it. Chicken nuggets are the best. You want a 10 instead of nine. But you don't get to demand that that exists, that that restaurant, that Mickey D's exists with those delicious golden chicken nuggets. And then think that the people working there don't deserve to make a livable wage. To me, that is a really gross mindset that kind of is caused by capitalism. And that's, I'm not getting get into that. It's a gross mindset. And I just, I cannot with people who think like that. Um, so with that, um, that's it. That's episode four. I hope you took something away from this. I hope you understand a little bit more about your own finances and and what that money actually means. Maybe you're going to have a little bit um, more more faith in 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 your government and in the banks. And maybe I just ruined your life because now you think that money has no value and everything is meaningless. And for that, I'm very sorry. Um, do we all maybe need to send an apology letter to our high school economics teachers? Because they probably taught us all of this already. Um, but we forgot because 
after high school, we went to college. College was super fun. And then we graduated college and then brunch became a thing. And that exists. And our brain cells have just depleted. So um, tune in next week when we are going to take quite the turn away from something so informative. Our topic next week is we're talking about love, baby. Is it more than a feeling? Cue Boston playing their hit song, More Than a Feeling, in the background. I'm pretty sure those cost money, so just sing it in your head. Um, biologically, what what is this feeling we call love? Um, and I actually wasn't going to do the love episode until much, much later down the road. Um, but I decided, you know what? It's June. It's Pride Month. I am a firm believer that love is love, and I am a proud ally to the legitimatequa, which I think is the most beautiful, elegant way to say that, um, the legitimatequa community. Um, so we're going to talk about love. And until then, spend your dollars, love your neighbor, and go be weird, humans. This episode of Weird Humanity was written researched by me, Amanda Reinhardt. Sources used for each episode can be found in the show notes. Be sure to like, subscribe, review, and give us all the stars wherever you listen. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Weird Humanity Pod and join the Facebook group Weird Humanity Podcast. Send your show ideas, letters of praise, or advertising inquiries to weirdhumanitypod at gmail.com.